It's a warm summer morning in North Vancouver on July 16, 1976. A 16-year-old girl is found dead by her neighbor only a few homes down from her own after a party the night before. He had heard an altercation in the middle of the night but never expected to find a dead body in his backyard. This is Cold Canada, Episode 11, 44 Years Unsolved, The Murder of Rona Duncan. This episode describes sexual assault in relation to a minor. Listener discretion is advised. North Vancouver was, and still is, considered the safest, cleanest place in Canada. Located only 10 kilometers from the large city of Vancouver, it's an escape from the skyscrapers and a dense population. Situated at the foot of North Shore Mountains, its natural beauty is breathtaking. Well known for a warm climate and lots of outdoor activities, people flock to this part of British Columbia to ski, hike, and explore endless trails. It's hard to believe a brutal crime against a teenage girl has been committed in this small suburb. I'm taking you way back this week to the summer of 1976. 16-year-old Rona Margaret Duncan is thoroughly enjoying her summer vacation. On the evening of July 15th, she meets up with her boyfriend Sean, her best friend Marion, and Marion's boyfriend Owen. They set off to a house party at a friend's place on East Queens Avenue. The party was crammed with people. It was reported there were around 60 teenagers packed into the home and outdoor area. Originally, the 17th birthday party was only supposed to be a small gathering of around 20 close friends, but quickly grew, as most high school parties do. At around 1am, the couples decide to call it a night. They had their fun and wanted to start making their way back. Walking all together, they left the party and headed towards home. As they got closer to the boys' home, they separated, Owen and Sean heading one way and Marion and Rona en route in the other direction. It was reported they separated at approximately 2.30am, quite some time after leaving the party. It was never revealed if the teens were drinking that night but it's easy to assume a house party plus teens would equal drinking and could be an explanation as to why it took them so long to walk from that house back to their neighborhood, as it wasn't that far. It was also reported in one article they stopped to chat at a government building, so they could have been messing around and in a rush to get back home. There are two opinions on the situation that could be examined. These girls are young and it's the middle of the night. Why didn't the boys walk them home first before returning to their own homes? Considering it was the late 70s and it was a little more relaxed when it came to kids walking home alone. The two girls were together until near both of their homes. So it may have made more logical sense for the boys and girls to separate since they passed by the boys' homes first. Either way, I think it's something to take into consideration when exploring the case. At around 2.45 a.m., the girls arrive close to Marion's house, which is approximately five blocks from Rona's. They say their goodnights and Rona heads down the road. About 15 minutes later, Rona's neighbor, who lived three homes down from her, hears an altercation outside. It sounds like a male and female arguing loudly. She wakes up her husband and instructs him to go investigate. He steps outside the back of his home and listens. He can't see anyone, but he hears what his wife heard moments before. Two people arguing. It was late, and he was not in the mood to deal with noise and shouted into the darkness, What's going on here? The arguing immediately stopped. He waited a moment, 
Satisfied that the people have moved along, he went back to bed. The rest of the night was quiet. Around 9 a.m. the next morning, the same neighbor is outside behind his garage and finds what appears to be a body. Upon getting a closer look, he sees a small girl, nude from the waist down, lying in the tall grass. He can see she is clearly deceased and calls police immediately. Police arrive and taped off the crime scene. They discovered her discarded clothes nearby. With all the commotion going on, people started to gather, including Rona's parents. Her dad started to question police, asking who they found as his daughter did not return from a party the night before, and he was starting to worry. Police knew right away that the body found was in fact his daughter, as she matched the description given by her parents. So he advised him to go to the station and file a missing persons report, basically to buy some time to process the scene and identify her for sure. Her small, lifeless body was bagged up and taken to the morgue at the hospital nearby. Her father headed to the police station to file the report as instructed and was promptly taken to the hospital across the street to ID the body. Through the shock of the events of the morning, he confirms the body is Rona. An autopsy was performed revealing she was sexually assaulted, strangled, and had severe wounds on her body from an unknown, sharp object. There was no weapon recovered from the scene. The only evidence they had was a small DNA sample. But this was 1976. DNA testing technology did not exist yet. The medical examiner determined her cause of death to be manual strangulation, and the time of death to be approximately 4 a.m. It was also reported she didn't have many defensive wounds, suggesting she may have known her killer. Police instantly started their investigation. They interviewed all known friends and acquaintances, as well as everyone who attended the party the evening before. Her boyfriend, Sean, was deeply examined, police begging the clothing he was wearing and made him do a polygraph test. Multiple polygraph exams were completed on other suspects with no results. Police had nothing to go on other than the neighbor reporting the argument they heard that night. Consequently, a similar incident happened a few days prior nearby. A woman was walking alone in the evening and someone grabbed her and attempted to pull her underwear down and sexually assault her. Thankfully, a home nearby must have heard something going on and a porch light was turned on scaring off the attacker. The woman reported the incident, giving a description of the man. She described him as young, approximately 18 years old, Caucasian, about 5'7", with a slim belt, shoulder-length, dirty blonde hair, and wearing dark clothing. With her depiction of his features, a composite sketch was made. It was reported a young, drunk male of the same description was hanging out nearby the night Duncan was killed. That predator was never caught. After a full investigation and no leads, the case goes cold. Fast forward 22 years later to 1998. DNA testing technology has advanced and the case is reopened. DNA collected from the crime scene was analyzed and a profile was obtained. Investigators went to work on trying to match the sample. A list of 172 males was compiled all of whom knew Rona in some regard and suspects that were already determined at the time of the murder. 
out of the 172 males, Sean was one of them and voluntarily gave his DNA to be tested. He stated even after all these years, he still felt guilty about not walking her all the way home that night. Nothing had seemed out of the ordinary. The party was memorable and fun. He never could have imagined something so terrible could happen to his high school girlfriend. Investigators already had a lot of DNA samples collected from most of the suspects which were compared with the DNA from the scene. All results came back negative. All high-priority suspects were eliminated, and the remainder of the males were either deceased or unable to be located. Once again, police hit a brick wall. They were optimistic with this new testing technology that they would be able to pinpoint her killer, but no such luck. The case was at a standstill and went cold again. Since 1998, there has been no further investigation or reports on this case. The case has been featured in podcast and written about in a book by Yves Larez called Cold Case Vancouver, but no reinvestigation has happened. Police investigative techniques have changed drastically over the years. Evidence collected in 1976 may not have been all of it. Who knows what was left behind at the scene, even if the samples collected were even viable enough after 22 years. The question still remained, who killed Rona? Did they know her or was it a random stranger? Over 40 years have passed since the terrible crime and families still have no answers. If you have any information related to this case, please contact Sergeant Jerry Webb of the North Vancouver Detachment Serious Crime Section at 604-983-7417 or Crime Stoppers. All the contact information will be in the episode notes. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, go follow me at Cold Canada Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. I'd love to hit a thousand followers by the end of the season. Episodes are still being streamed on YouTube. Just search Cold Canada Podcast or go through the link in the notes. My name is Heather Curran, and this has been Cold Canada. <laughs>